Well, welcome to the DOGS program. DOGS stands for Defence of Government Schools. We are the Council for the Defence of Government Schools and we are here to promote and to protect public education. And uh, we have another press release for you this week, which deals with preferential treatment of certain religious schools over even other religious schools, let alone the public system. And uh, a lot of questions that we've got to ask about what was in the age uh, uh, on, on the matter that you'll hear about. As well as that, we have news from the United States, which is not so good um, for the separation of church and state. And uh, we have news around the traps in Melbourne itself. Uh, there's a very interesting e-petition up uh, that Coburn High School is using. And uh, we're also going to uh, refer you to a plan or a push for a new Eastern Suburbs public high school. People want public high schools. They need them because they can't pay private school fees and the mortgage on the house uh, as they thought they could, thanks to the Reserve Bank. So a lot of parents are now realising, even in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, that uh, the best way forward is a public school for their children, which is allegedly free, secular and universal. But let's get on with it, shall we? Press release 951. Over to Oliver and Kim. Thank you. Thank you, Jean. On the 1st of September, Nicole Pressel and Madeleine Heffernan from The Age reported that the De La Salle brothers will sell their Malvern School, which has net assets of $27 million, to fund compensation claims from victims of historical sexual abuse and to financially support ageing brothers. The buyer, Melbourne Archdiocese Catholic Schools, will take over the running of the college for more than 1,000 boys in years 5 to 12. Melbourne Archdiocese Catholic Schools was established in 2020 by Archbishop Bishop Peter Comensoli to govern and operate around 300 of Melbourne's Catholic schools in response to laws that enable survivors of sexual abuse to sue institutions. Delisle Melbourne is the first school it has purchased since its formation and ensures Catholic education continues at the site instead of the school being closed. The Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse said Catholic Church data showed that 328 people made a claim of child sexual abuse to the De La Salle brothers between 1980 and 2015. The brothers accounted for 7% of all claims made to a Catholic Church authority. Sydney lawyer Ross Coffell said his firm has settled a large number of cases against the De La Salle brothers and has more than 50 unresolved claims mainly in New South Wales and Queensland. Victims are very hesitant, but if they see other victims of prosecuting cases, they often get the courage to come forward, which is a great thing because it helps, he said. The brothers said they did not plan to sell their remaining schools, St Bede's in the Bayside suburb of Mentone, Oak Hill College in Sydney, and St Michael's in Adelaide. Our dedication to the rest of the schools in the Lasallian network remains unchanged, they said. There will be no change to staff, educational approach, or fees under new ownership, the brothers and Melbourne Archdiocese Catholic Schools recently told the school community. And now Kim will tell us the dogs. Thanks, Oliver. Dogs believe that this development raises a number of questions. 
One, where does the $27 million paid by the Melbourne Archdiocese Catholic Schools, which in reality is only an accountancy figure with the Catholic Church robbing Peter to pay De La Salle come from? Two, does it come from the taxpayers who fund the Catholic systems with billions and billions and ever increasing billions of dollars every year? Three, does this mean that taxpayers are funding the compensation payments to abuse victims? And four, if the $27 million does not depend upon taxpayer funds, then why are taxpayers subsidising the activities of an institution that has access to these kinds of funds? Five, in the past few weeks, we have been noting an international private school and a Jewish school which are under threat of losing their registration because of mismanagement of both private and taxpayer funds. But mismanagement of funds as a reason for deregistration pales into significance when compared with systemic child sexual abuse. Yet no Catholic school has been deregistered for these heinous crimes against vulnerable children placed in the care of religious men. On the contrary, the church has resisted paying compensation to the victims of abuse for many years and only after a royal commission and numerous court cases has it been prepared to part with any compensation money. The favoritism shown to this particular church by Australian governments should mean that the consequent entanglement of church with the state contravenes section 116 of the constitution on even a preferential bias basis. Back to you, Jean. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, the dogs have got a lot of uh, questions to ask about uh, that report, but uh, thanks to the age for uh, doing their homework and giving us a few facts and figures about what's going on. Uh, well, uh, we now have a little bit of a break and we're going to come back uh, to find out what's been going on in America. all about a voice in our own country we've got a reason for screaming out where's our voice in this country you know not that i want to be a part of the constitution for that you know that's why 3cr is so important to, to me and this community here we've got a voice but it's not you know we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got but it's all about having a voice subscribe to 3cr fiercely independent and community controlled Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855am on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. 3CR. Well, uh, you're still listening to the Dogs Program and uh, Kim and Sorrell are going to take us over to Americans United for Separation of Church and State where there has been a uh, Supreme Court ruling which uh, is very disappointing indeed. Over to you, Sorrell and Kim. Thanks, Jean. So on the June the 27th of 2022, the US Supreme Court gutted decades of established law that protected students' religious freedom, undermining the USA's foundational principle of church-state separation in the landmark Kennedy and Bremerton School District case. The court ruled six against the Bremerton School District, which was trying to protect public high school students from a coach who violated their religious freedom by pressuring them to join his public prayers at the 50 yard line at a public high school football game, sorry, at football games, plural. 
Rachel Laser, President and CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, which represents the school district, issued the following statement. Today, the court continued its assault on church-state separation by falsely describing coercive prayer as personal and stopping public schools from protecting their students' religious freedom. It is no coincidence that the erosion of the line between church and state has come alongside devastating losses on so many of the rights we cherish. As that line has been blurred, public education, reproductive rights, civil rights, and more have come under attack. This decision represents the greatest loss of religious freedom in our country in generations. This court focused only on the demands of the far-right Christian extremists, robbing everyone else of their religious freedom. It ignored the religious freedom of students and families. As the network of religious extremists and their political allies behind this case celebrate victory, we can expect them to try and expand this dangerous precedent, further undermining everyone's right to live as ourselves and believe as we choose. Americans who value freedom and equality, especially for public school students, must rededicate themselves to re-establishing the separation of church and state across the United States. Now over to you, Kim, to tell us what the Bremerton School had to say about this. Thanks, Sorrel. Uh, the Bremerton School District issued the following statement. The Bremerton School District's priorities have always been protecting the rights and safety of students while ensuring that they receive an exemplary education. That's why when we learned that a district employee was leading students in prayer, we followed the law and acted to protect the religious freedom of all students and their families. In light of the court's decision, we will work with our attorneys to make certain that the Bremerton School District remains a welcoming, inclusive environment for all students, their families and our staff. We look forward to moving past the distraction of this seven-year legal battle so that our school community can focus on what matters most, providing our children the best education possible. Laser said this devastating decision is only one among a series of recent Supreme Court cases that have resulted in setbacks for individual rights, such as reproductive freedom, LGBTQ equality and voting rights. In Dobbs versus Jackson, Women's Health Organization, the Supreme Court abolished the constitutional right to abortion. And in Carson versus Macon, the court forced taxpayers to fund religious education. Laser promised that Americans United will continue to defend and protect religious freedom, which is inextricably tied to our other personal liberties by fighting the courts, legislatures, and the public square for freedom without favor and equality without exception. Americans United is a religious freedom advocacy organization based in Washington, DC. It was founded in 1947. AU educates Americans about the importance of church state separation in safeguarding religious freedom. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much. Uh, of course, um, the dogs are very much in favour of religious freedom and separation of church and state. But we will uh, have a bit of a break now and come back to find out what's going on here in Melbourne. There's kind of a lot of a lot of things that are coming up to the fore at the moment as well, particularly in terms of the way that we imagine, for example, essential work and also sort of essential community life or essential caregiving 
um, and how those how those function. If we think about sort of the way that queer family often takes very very sort of different forms and very you know important and meaningful forms that often don't match the picture of normative heteronormative family life but how so many of the of the affordances or the restrictions or the kind of the, the government governmental sort of imagining of the way that we should live and what we need to live and what we need to survive really is shaped around heteronormativity you know it's around the family life in the suburb as opposed to many you know single individuals who have shared queer family both sexual and community connections that sustain them and that kind of give them give them life and give them give them sort of energy and comfort and safety and security and support you're listening to 3cr community radio am on digital and online 3cr radical radio
as teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, uh, we are still listening to The Dogs program, I hope. And we're back in Melbourne uh, to find out what Coburg High School has been up to. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, uh, there's actually um, a, an e-petition that uh, closed yesterday, but uh, it was uh, about capital works funding for Coburg High School. And the grievance was the petition of certain citizens of the state of Victoria draws to the attention of the Legislative Council that Coburg High School, CHS, is the largest school in the Pasco Vale electorate with 1,225 enrolments in 2022, yet it is consistently overlooked for critical infrastructure, infrastructure funding. After a long community campaign, CHS was reopened in 2015. It's a vibrant, diverse and inclusive school with dedicated teachers, exceptional leadership, strong community engagement and excellent student results. Critical infrastructure to support the school's rapid growth has never been adequately funded. CHS is currently under-resourced by 18 specialist learning classrooms and lacking appropriate facilities for subjects like STEM, performing arts, visual arts and sport. This deficit will rise to 21 when the projected enrolment of 1,475 in 2027 is reached. It lacks the quality facilities of neighbouring schools with music lessons being held in storage cupboards, science classes in portables without lab facilities and students counselled out of taking food technology as there's only one commercial kitchen for the entire school. With the introduction of the Vocational Major and Victorian Pathway Certificate in 2023, CHS needs to be able to retain senior students and provide the educational opportunities they deserve. A commitment to capital works funding by the Victorian State Government will ensure our students have access to all parts of the Victorian curriculum and vocational specialisations and our transformational infrastructure projects. So the action they're asking, the petitioners therefore request that the Legislative Council call on the government to urgently commit capital works funding for Coburg High School so they may create adequate facilities that will meet the learning needs of current and future students. And that uh, petition closed yesterday. Yes, well, they're, they're sort of up and fighting up there in the north. They're well known for it, aren't they? And um all the same, we're going to find out a bit later in the program that Coburg High School is certainly a high school that the local people want to send their children to. Indeed. Uh, yes, uh, there's uh, a very interesting things happening up there in the north. 
but uh, things are happening in the East too, as we'll uh, find out a bit later. But um, the, uh, the Albanese government has been doing some interesting things in the last week too, hasn't it, Dale? Would you like to tell us about that? Yeah, well, this week was uh, TAFE Day, uh, National TAFE Day, and um, the AEU has released, has given us a press release about um, it welcoming the $1.1 billion TAFE announcement uh, from the federal government. So the Australian Education Union has warmly welcomed the Prime Minister's announcement of 180,000 fee-free TAFE places made during his Jobs and Skills Summit opening address. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese also announced that $1.1 billion in funding for the new places will be shared by the states, territories and the Commonwealth. These new places will come on top of the 465,000 fee-free TAFE places announced prior to the 2022 federal election. Australia is facing, a skills short, facing skills shortages across states and territories and across industries. There's an urgent need for skilled workers to secure our economy now and into the long term, Federal President Karenna Haythorpe said. In making this announcement at the start of his opening address, Prime Minister has acknowledged the critical role TAFE plays in Australia's vocational education and training system and placed it at the heart of the national jobs and skills agenda. TAFE is the best place to ensure the workers we need gain the skills and knowledge required to fill workforce gaps. Across hundreds of campuses across Australia, TAFE provides high quality vocational education to thousands of students. With funding and investment like that announced this morning, TAFE can continue to provide high quality vocational education to help Australia rebuild following the pandemic, address skills shortages in labour market and help ensure our future economic security. So that's exciting news for TAFE. Yes, it is. Uh, what, of course, this is about, the skills shortage, is that they tried to privatise TAFE. There have been all of these little tra training colleges that are really um, uh, immigration scams and uh, they've been le leeching the money out of the government that should be going into the public system. But uh, Albanese and company have suddenly woken up. There's a problem. So perhaps they'd better get back and put that money into the TAFE system so that we can have genuinely skilled tradesmen uh, amongst our own children. But um, we'll have a bit of a break and Sorrel is going to tell us what's going on over in the eastern suburbs. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary They're School. really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the Outdoor school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. 
This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a Positive great deal. relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 9419 Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member. That's 03 9419 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. Yes, well, uh, Sorrel's got some very interesting information. Uh, up there in Sydney, uh, the North Shore and the Eastern Suburbs, of course, think that they're a bit better than the rest of us, but um, the Eastern Suburbs is chock-a-block full with some of the wealthiest private schools in Australia. If you start thinking about Scotch College and uh, Cranbrook and uh, Loretto Convent and a few others. But the people in Eastern Sydney think that they should have another new high school. Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So independent MPs Alec, Alex Greenwich and Allegra Spender will push for a new public high school in eastern Sydney, saying a lack of secondary school options has forced families to move catchments or abandon the public system entirely. The pair have written it to New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell calling for a long-term plan to expand public education in the eastern suburbs, pointing to a large and growing population unable to afford high-fee private schools and surging demand for co-ed alternatives. We need a plan for access to comprehensive public education in the east. The end point for that is another comprehensive high school, but it's also reviewing other options like expanding and making Randwick boys or girls high co-educational, Spender said. Spender, the federal member for Wentworth, said there were few public high school options, despite plans for medium to high density development, including some affordable housing across the Waverley, Randwick and Woolara local government areas. This was the biggest local issue raised with me leading up to the federal election, she said. Lobby group Community for Local Options for Secondary Education, CLOSE, 
has for years called for a new mixed gender public high school, saying there is not enough capacity at Rose Bay Secondary College and that single sex Randwick boys and girls are the only other options in the immediate area. In 2019, the New South Wales Department of Education rejected a proposal to turn Randwick Boys High into a co-ed school. Despite a survey showing strong support within the eastern suburbs community, there are at least 20 private high schools in the eastern and inner city areas, some charging year 12 fees upwards of $40,000. The only six public high schools in the eastern suburbs include J.J. Cahill Memorial High, Matraville Sport, Rose Bay Secondary College, South Sydney High and Randwick Boys and Girls. Over to you, Jean. Well, that's very interesting indeed, isn't it? Only six, but uh, they want some more because... Uh, as you can imagine, even with the interest rates on million dollar, many million dollar mansions around Rose Bay and Potts Point and what have you, uh, there might be some people who think that it might be wise not to be spending that 40000 on fees for a private school which gives no better results than the local high school. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and we'll go over to Jeff and his news on America. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Well, we're still listening to the Dogs Program, I hope, and we've been giving you bits and pieces today about public schools in Melbourne and elsewhere where the local people are demanding that they have their uh, state schools. Now, here in Australia, we call them public schools or state schools, but they are really community schools. They belong to the local community. And over in America, there is a local community movement. Uh, and uh, Jeff is going to tell us something about them. So here is Jeff with an article by a gentleman called Jeff Bryant. Yeah, thanks, Jean. And look, this article's um, it's published on August, August 26th by Jeff Bryant, and it's called Community Schools Can Revitalise Neighbourhoods Around Them. Um, when Darlene Kameen tells the story about Euler School in Cincinnati, Ohio, she also likes to tell the story about the house across the street from the school. Kameen and the group she leads, which is called the Community Learning Centre Institute, CLCI, have played leading roles in the startling comeback of Euler School, which is a pre-kinder through grade six, grade 12 
sorry, school that sits at the centre of Cincinnati's lower Price Hill neighbourhood. Uh, the historic district west of downtown became a destination for Appalachian families looking for factory work. When coal mining jobs in Kentucky and West Virginia declined in World War II, reported Amy Scott for Contexts, uh, a peer-reviewed academic journal. Uh, but since the 1980s, the district has seen a severe decline in population, businesses and investment. According to the LPH Resurgency Plan, a civic planning document approved by the Cincinnati City Council in 2019, suburban sprawl and economic decline had devastating effects on the neighbourhood, making LPH one of the poorest neighbourhoods in the city of Cincinnati, noted the plan. When Kamine and her organisation began working with Euler in 2009, 85% of the students weren't making it through the 10th grade, she said. Today, the school has a 92% uh, graduation rate, and 70% of graduates go to college despite the district's continued high poverty rate. Camion credits must, much of the success to two things, a $21 million investment in refurbishing the aged, well-worn built school building, and the implementation of a school improvement approach, approach called community schools. The community schools approach, according to Camille, re relies on transforming public schools into community hubs of educational, recreational, cultural, health and civic partnerships, which work in unison to provide the improve, improve the conditions for student learning and family and community well-being. The approach requires local school decision-making committees to assess the needs of the school, select the appropriate partnerships and ensure that the desi desired outcomes are financially self-sustaining. At Euler, Implementing the community schools approach resulted in the school providing a health clinic staffed by a nurse practitioner, a vision centre where children can get free eye exams and glasses, a dental clinic and mental health counsellors. Scott stated in her 2015 article, uh, the kids can eat breakfast, lunch and dinner at school and bring home food for the weekends. Enrichment programs included college advising, after school activities and a large network of volunteers, tutors and mentors. All these partnerships are self-sustaining. The school provides the space. The organisations tap their own budgets or bill Medicaid for their services. Due to the success of Euler and schools like it, more Cincinnati schools have caught on to the community schools approach. CLCI now works with six schools and the Cincinnati Public Schools District, whose community school efforts date back to 2002, says 44 of its 65 total schools are community learning centres, the district's preferred term for schools using this approach. Since its adoption of the, of the community schools approach, CPS has become Ohio's highest ranked suburban school district, according to, to Greg Anrig, a senior fellow at the Century Foundation. In a 2015 article in Educational Leadership, Anrig wrote, Cincinnati's test scores went from being on par with those of other struggling school districts to breaking away from the pack. In 2009-10, Cincinnati became the first city to receive effective ratings on the Ohio School District report card, even as poverty rates increased in the city. CPS consistently ranks number one among Ohio's eight large suburban schools districts. Uh, the, they reported in 2016. That means that when compared to Ohio's other seven large urban districts, Akron, Canton, Cleveland, Cleveland, Columbus, Dayton, Toledo, and Youngstown, Toledo amuses me because uh, Klinger from MASH used to come from there, uh, CPS is actually the best of the bunch. But Kameen wants people to know that the community schools approach success story in Cincinnati is not just about what goes on in schools. 
Schools can create conditions for learning within their schools, she said, but they can't be islands in the neighbourhoods. Uh, even as positive change started to take root in Euler, students and parents wanted to do something about the dilapidated abandoned house across the street from the school. The house had become a constant reminder to the Euler community that you are not yet worthy, Camine said, and teachers and school staff realised they had something had to be done about it. Their first step was to get a grant to purchase and renovate the house. Then, based on conversations with the Euler community and nearby homeowners, a decision was made to make the house into an extension of the school's campus to provide a meeting space, a food pantry, and classes in home ownership and maintenance and other educational topics. Now known as Euler House, the renovated structure, which had been a symbol of blight that had plagued the neighbourhood for decades, instead conveys hope about where the community is heading, according to the Hamilton County Land Reutilisation Corporation, a land bank that returns vacant properties to productive use. In addition to renovating Euler House, CLCI has helped start housing initiatives in Lower Price Hill and elsewhere, including urban homesteading, affordable rental housing, and renovations of old historical homes that have been abandoned or poorly maintained. According to Camine, these initiatives have eliminated homelessness in all CLCI-assisted schools, and 30 families are currently in the pipeline to buy new homes. The progress at these schools has attracted three companies to move into these communities, which has brought 350 new jobs, Camine said, and school improvements have catalyzed other neighbourhood improvements, including new streetscapes with sidewalks and lighting. Schools are a good place for for where community revitalisation starts, she said, because they have buildings that are in close proximity to families and schools are, re are already where the kids are. Grant Schuster tells a similar story about a school in Anaheim, California, whose success with the community schools approach became the catalyst for revitalising the surrounding community. According to Schuster, who is president of the Anaheim Secondary Teachers Associ Association, the Anaheim Union High School District officially adopted the community schools approach in 2020 when it announced the hiring of a community school coordinator for two of its schools, Anaheim Union High School and Sycamore Junior High School. But the idea had taken hold in the district years earlier when the district was awarded grant money to recruit a steering committee to explore the adoption of the approach and rewrite school policies and job descriptions to encompass the community school's philosophy, including providing students with wraparound services in an inclusive curriculum that allowed for potential new academic pathways for student learning. In Magnolia High School, one such pathway opened when students, nearly all of whom qualified for free or reduced price school meals, started asking teachers why the neighbourhood surrounding the school had so many liquor stores but no grocery stores. Those discussions led to learning about food deserts, why they are so often a feature of low-income communities and how the issue connects to a social justice, environmental science and sustainable agricultural practices. Um, then teachers and students worked with school leaders to expand their inquiries into creating the school's own agri-science community centre. Working with local officials and non-profits, the school acquired a two-and-a-half-acre plot of land for the students to learn how to grow nutritious foods and vegetables, not only for their own school meals, but also for distributing to the surrounding community. When a school is successful, it has a ripple effect on the surrounding community, said Alan Weeks. Weeks, who is the executive director of Austin Voices for Education and Youth, helped spearhead successful community schools reform at Webb Middle School and Reagan High School in Austin, Texas. 
Reagan High School is now called Northeast Early College High School after a name change taking place during the 2019-2020 school year. But in 2008, the once proud school built in the 1960s had become gradually surrounded by Austin's most drug-infested neighbourhood, according to Weeks. Every system at the school had broken down, he said, and the school is being threatened with closure. Saving Reagan, now Northeast, became a community focus, according to the Weeks, and educators at the school began looking into the community school's approach as a strategy for turning the school around. Their first step was to get funding from the district to attend a community schools conference in Portland, Oregon, where they learned how to implement the approach at their school. Also, Northeast school leaders worked with district leaders to form committees consisting of a wide range of stakeholders in the community to determine major areas to address. Those communities identified 11 major areas to work on, including the school's high mobility rate, with high proportions of the students coming and going from school, often in mid-year, and the need to start a family resource centre at the school. The centre quickly developed 30 partnerships with local non-profits to provide access to services such as mobile health clinics, mental health services, parenting classes, and after-school programs for students. A year after opening the resource centre, mobility rates at the Northeast Early College High School dropped by a third, according to Weeks. The school doubled enrolment and graduation rates improved from 48% to 98% in five years. More recently, the school partnered with a local community college to offer courses that enable students at Northeast to earn credits towards an associate's degree before they graduate high school. With Northeast showing signs of a turnaround, Weeks and the educators at the school worked with the city to develop a comprehensive plan for the surrounding community, which spurred the city to create a new park for the neighbourhood and build more affordable housing near the school. Northeast's early college high school and Webb Middle School are still Austin's poorest schools with the highest population of students who have English as a second language, said Weeks, but these schools now have a foundation to build on. Both the school's services touch 25,000 families every year, with 7,000 people receiving direct assistance with a range of services, including assistance with housing, utilities, rent and employment. None of this is to say that these schools' continued success with the community schools' approach is virtually assured. Solving the problems of impoverished communities is very slow work, said Weeks. And too often school leaders put three years into a change effort, uh, effort only to abandon it for something different. But this community schools approach makes school leaders increase their attention spans and create a stronger foundation for change that is more sustainable. The community school strategy demonstrates how schools serve as a foundation to the community, Schuster said, because through the strategy, students, parents, educators and community members tell district and community leaders what they want to see in their school and the surrounding community. It's an alternative to the old patriarchal model for delivering education. Our schools still don't have all the resources affluent schools in the suburbs have, says Camine, but we know that not all of our graduating seniors are yet able to hold their own in college. But improving the schools shows that people care about a community and helps people in the community see that progress is possible. Um, that's a great article, and it's so good to see um, how important schools are in turning around a community and how education-led uh, assistance is vital to a thriving community. What a wonderful article. Thanks very much. And back to you, Jean. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. But now we're going to uh, get Jeff to tell us a bit more uh, about, from Diana Ravitch's blog, the history of uh, the idea of public education in the United States. We have a very strong history here in Australia, 
with people who have fought for public education and we are in that tradition, but America has a very similar tradition. So back to Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Jean. And this is another one from our wonderful Diana Ravitch blog from the United States. Um, and she's reporting on September the 5th. Uh, she writes, Anya Kamenetz is the education reporter for NPR, that's the National Public Radio. This brilliant essay appeared in the New York Times. Kamenetz explains why public schools are the essential foundation stone of our democracy. Uh, here she, she starts, for the majority of human history, most people didn't go to school. Formal education was a privilege for the Alexander the Greats of the world who could hire Aristotle's as private tutors. Starting in the mid-19th century, the United States began to establish truly universal compulsory education. It was a social compact. The state provides public schools that are free and open to all, and children for most of their childhood are required to receive an education. Today, nine out of 10 do so in public schools. To an astonishing degree, one person, Horace Mann, the nation's first state secretary of education, forged this reciprocal commitment. The constitution doesn't mention education. In Southern colonies, rich white children had tutors or were sent overseas to learn. Teaching enslaved people to read was outlawed. Those who learned did so by luck, in defiance or in secret. But Mann came from Massachusetts, the birthplace of the common school in the 1600s, where schoolmasters were paid by taking up a collection from each group of households. Mann expanded on that tradition. He crossed the state on horseback to visit every schoolhouse, finding the most, mostly neglected, drafty old wrecks. He championed schools as the crucible of democracy. His guiding principle following Thomas Jefferson was that citizens cannot sustain both ignorance and freedom. An essential part of man's vision was that public schools should be for everyone and that children of different class backgrounds should learn together. He pushed to draw wealthier students away from private schools, establish normal schools, to train teachers, primarily women, uh, have the state take over charitable schools and increase taxes to pay for it all. He largely succeeded. By the early 20th century, all states had free primary schools underwritten by taxpayers that students were required to attend. And that's more or less how America became the nation we recognise today. The United States soon boasted one of the world's highest literacy rates amongst white people. It's hard to imagine how we could have established our industrial and scientific might, welcomed newcomers from all over the world, knit our democracy back together after the Civil War and become a wealthy nation with high living standards without schoolhouses. The consensus on schooling has never been perfect. Private schools older than the nation continue to draw the elite. Public schools in many parts of the country were segregated by law until the mid-20th century, and they are racially and economically segregated to this day. But man's inclusive vision is under particular threat right now. Extended school closures during the coronavirus pandemic effectively broke the social compact of universal, universal compulsory schooling. School closures threw our country back into the educational atomization that characterized the pre-man era. Wealthy parents hired tutors for their children. Others adopted for opted for private and religious schools that reopened sooner. Some had no choice but to leave their children alone in the house all day or send them to work for wages while the schoolhouse doors were closed. Meanwhile, a well-funded decades-old movement that wants to do away with public school as we know it is in ascendance. 
This movement rejects man's vision that schools should be the common ground where diverse society discovers how to live together. Instead, it believes families should educate their children however they wish or however they can. It sees no problem with Republican schools for Republican students, black schools for black students, Christian schools for Christian students, and so on, as long as those schools are freely chosen. Recent Supreme Court decisions open the door to both prayer in schools and public funding of religious education, breaking with man's non-sectarian ideal. If we want to renew the benefits that public schools have brought to America, we need to recommit to the vision man advocated. Our democracy sprouts the nursery in the nursery of public schools, where students grapple together with our messy history and learn to negotiate differences of race, class, gender, and sexual orientation. Freedom of thought will wilt if schools foist religious doctrine of any kind onto students, and schools need to be enriched places full of caring adults who have the support and resources they need to teach effectively. Without public education delivered as a public good, the asylum seeker in detention, the teenager in jail, not to mention millions of children growing up in poverty will have no realistic way to get the instruction they need to participate in democracy or support themselves. And students of privilege will stay confined in their bubbles. Americans will lose the most powerful social innovation that helps us construct a common reality and try imperfectly to understand one another. Just another article about how cohesive schools are uh, when they're collective and public and how divisive they are when they are allowed to splinter along sectarian and other and political lines. Um, really important that that doesn't happen. Back to you, Jean. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's great to know that we are in a great, long and uh, very well-trodden tradition. But uh, we're going to come back to the local level again. We heard earlier in this program about an e-petition for Coburg High School, which is a great high school. And it's been fought for by its local community. It was closed by Jeff Kennett and they've got it open again, but they want it to be the best high school in the Northern suburbs of Melbourne. So let's find out a little bit more about this great state school. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And this week's great state school of the week is. Coburg High School. I'm going to read a little bit uh, from their website. They're proud to educate the young people of the Coburg community and to showcase their vision and values, approaches to teaching and learning, well-being supports, range of co-curricular programs and the talents and achievements of their students and staff through their website. Uh, their central purpose is to ensure that the students graduate to lead rewarding, responsible, prosperous, healthy and happy lives and to enable them to make significant contributions to the world. The school values are excellence, integrity, curiosity and community. And these values underpin the goals, policies, practices, behaviours and decision making at Coburg High School. Excellence. 
We strive to do our best and to continually improve in our learning and our work. Integrity. We are honest, open, trustworthy and ethical. Curiosity. We are lifelong learners who take a brave and inquisitive approach to the world around us. Community. We respect the rights of others, celebrate our diversity and contribute to building an inclusive and thriving school and community. And it was with great excitement that they announced some of the excellent VCE results in the class of 2021. The school's median study score had increased to 29, which was up from 28 in 2020. Uh, There's also a significant increase in the number of students achieving study scores of 40 or above. Uh, with these results in applied computing, biology, business management, English, further maths, health and human development, maths methods, media, phys phys ed, physics, psychology and Spanish. Overall, 6.1% of students achieved a study score of 40 or above, up from 3.2 in 2020. And pleasingly, seven students achieved an ATAR of 90 or above. So here's some facts and figures from the My School website. They've got an enrolment, as we mentioned earlier, of 1,125, which is uh, projected to go up to 1,400 at least in a couple of years. Uh, and their ICSIA value is above average at 100, uh, 1,125, which is representative of the inner northern Melbourne community. So there's 34% of kids have come from parents in the highest parental income quartile. Uh, 31% are in the second level of parental income. Uh, 22% are lower middle class and 13% come from the lowest quartile. Uh, 28% speak in a language other than English and 1% are Indigenous students. Uh, finances, they've got recurrent grants from the Australian government of 2.7 uh, million, sorry. Victorian government, they get 11 million. Uh, fees and parental contributions, uh, 521,000. And other private contributions come to around 470,000. So per pupil, it's only $14,110 a year, which is actually below the Gonski School Resourcing Standard. And they have capital grants of 4.1 million over three years, which is not very much, which is why they're petitioning for more. So they're getting amazing results with very, very uh, mega resources. Well, our time is gone and the time's come to say goodbye, but we say thank you to Dale, our producer, and to Kim and Oliver and uh, Sorrel uh, for, and of course, Jeff. And if you want to find out more about the dogs or you want the information from our, this year's, uh, this week's press release, then you go to www.adogs.info. But from all of us at 3CR Dogs Program, it's bye for now.
In Salt Lake City, just as I am standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill It's there you find I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. I never died, You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.